Welcome back to another episode of Our Maryland's Politics and Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Leatherberry. Last month, May of 2021, the Supreme Court announced that it would take up Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, a case that represents the most significant challenge to Roe v. Wade in almost 50 years. Recent polling still indicates that a majority of Americans think that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. However, it seems like we're seeing more anti-choice initiatives that have us wondering about the current state of reproductive justice in Maryland and across America. Since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, Republican states have passed bans on abortion in early pregnancy with the hope that following rejection by the lower courts, the cases would be appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court. Our current Supreme Court's 6-3 conservative majority has heightened the threat that abortion access could soon be severely curtailed and implicitly banned. In addition to these state-spawned appeal efforts, disinformation about pregnancy and abortion has been running rampant in the past two decades. No longer limited to protesters outside of family planning clinics, organizations seeking to ban abortions spread disinformation through non-medical, unlicensed crisis pregnancy centers. Crisis pregnancy centers use biased and inaccurate information to persuade women not to pursue an abortion. Our guest today is Isabel Blaylock, Field Director for Abortion Access at NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland. Isabel joins us to discuss the current threats to abortion care and access and to inform us about the current fight against disinformation spread by crisis pregnancy centers. Welcome, Isabel. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. Excited to be here. We have a lot to cover, of course, um, abortion access in Maryland, um, crisis pregnancy centers, legislative measures related to the work at NARAL Poor Choice Maryland. We'll just get into it and and try to um, get people to understand the type of work that you do and why it's so important to have people working on these issues in Maryland. Um, So if you could, just to start us off, tell us a little bit more about NARAL Pro Choice Maryland. Absolutely. Um, So NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland is an organization that has been around for 40 years. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary this summer. We are a small but growing organization dedicated to fighting for the reproductive health rights and justice of all Marylanders. We are an affiliate of the national organization, NARAL Pro-Choice America, but we're really separate organizations entirely and only just share a name. The national organization focuses on things happening at the federal level, while we really focus in on what's happening in Maryland. There are three parts to our organization. NARAL Portrays Maryland Fund is the 501c3 arm of our organization, and that's really focused on the education, the advocacy, the outreach, um, the policy research. And, And our mission is really to support and protect as a fundamental right and value an individual's freedom to make personal decisions regarding the full range of reproductive choices through education, training, organizing, all that good stuff. And then our 501c4, NARAL Portrace Maryland, is where we do our policy and legislative work. So that's where we're taking our education, our advocacy, our policy research, and applying it to um, laws, uh, you know, and legislation happening in the Maryland General Assembly. And then our PAC, where we are, you know, endorsing and trying to elect pro-choice folks running for elected office and making sure that our elected officials represent our values and our work here at Nearwall Pro-Choice Maryland and, and those of our members as well. You mentioned reproductive freedom. I 
I know that a lot of people, when they think about pro-choice and the movement for choice, um, they think that it's only related to abortion. Um, if you could just expand a little bit on what reproductive freedom encompasses, what other sorts of issues? Absolutely. Um, so like you said, reproductive freedom, you know, there's no one definition, but when we're talking about reproductive freedom at NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland, we're talking about issues that relate to evidence-based sex education and healthcare. Um, we're talking about pregnancy rights. So both your right to be pregnant or to not be pregnant and be treated with dignity and compassion in either situation. We're talking about forming families and parenting with dignity and safety and in good health. We're talking about bodily autonomy, which not only includes, you know, things like being able to access abortion or, or control if, when, and how we have children, but also includes, you know, having access to menstrual supplies or being able um, to breast pump in privacy. And, you know, it's about consent as well. We focus on, you know, family planning, which is about contraception, interconception care, fertility management, and abortion care. And lastly, reproductive freedom, we're also thinking about healthy pregnancies, particularly in relation to the insane and unacceptable maternal mortality crisis that happens in this country. And just, you know, our right to have pregnancies that are not only, you know, healthy, but are not traumatic trying to make that as positive an experience as possible. I think more broadly, all of this, all of these things about reproductive freedom, you know, relates back to reproductive justice, which Sister Song defines as the right to maintain personally bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. And I think that is, you know, a lot of people, they think about our organization, Neural Pro-Choice Maryland, and they just think abortion, abortion, abortion. And, you know, a lot of our work is making sure that people understand, you know, we're not here to push any abortion agenda. We want to make sure that every individual is able to make the decisions that are best for them and their families. I see that when we talk about reproductive freedom and reproductive justice, there are a plethora of issues, of course, things that we need to address. On a state level, are there some top issues that we focus on here in Maryland where you all are dedicating a lot of your time right now? I think yes and no, and it sort of depends on on the year and the political climate. Some national core issues that we focus on in our main campaigns are about contraception, abortion access, pregnancy discrimination, paid leave. That's what our national office tells us to focus on. And then beyond that, we do work around youth rights. We convened a coalition called Reproductive Justice Inside, which is a coalition dedicated to supporting the reproductive health rights and justice of individuals who are incarcerated and detained and otherwise involved with the state. We do that work around crisis pregnancy centers, all issues that we should be focusing on. And I think thinking about the Maryland political climate, you know, we can hold space and gratitude for the fact that we do live in this progressive state where many of us do have great access to healthcare in comparison to our neighboring states to the west and south and simultaneously you know we can focus on each of these issues and we must focus on each of these issues constantly and consistently and do the education work and push our elected officials to have the conversations and make our state better um so it's always an ongoing issue you mentioned crisis pregnancy centers and i think it's worth taking a a pretty deep dive into that I, I feel as though the general public is starting to understand yeah. what 
crisis pregnancy centers are. I remember maybe it was two years ago now, perhaps three, John Oliver had a crisis pregnancy center segment on his show last week tonight. And even in the past three weeks, there was a segment of The Handmaid's Tale I just as part of the that. story. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Where they had a character who was seeking an abortion, but ended up in a crisis pregnancy center and didn't know what it was. So I think for our listeners, now we can sort of talk about what a crisis pregnancy center is. I mean, are these things that we're seeing in Maryland? So we'll we'll just start there. What are crisis pregnancy centers? Absolutely. Um, so crisis pregnancy centers are information centers that pose as women's health centers with the sole purpose of dissuading people from getting abortion care. Crisis pregnancy centers are sometimes also referred to as fake clinics because they set themselves up next to legitimate family planning providers and abortion care providers. They are everywhere. And I think, you know, for one thing is for listeners to realize you know, whether you recognize it or not, you have absolutely passed a crisis pregnancy center. Um, and now that we're talking about it, you'll start to see signs everywhere. Anytime a sign that says, you know, pregnant, we can help. Any of that, you know, pregnant, have concerns, help with pregnancy. That's almost always language directed from an advertisements for crisis pregnancy centers. Because, and, you know, they're called crisis pregnancy centers both by the pro-choice and anti-choice movements in many parts, um, in many ways, because they're, they're trying to capture people who do not want to be pregnant, right? Who are experiencing some sort of crisis with this pregnancy. That's what they are. And that's a really broad definition, but, you know, just to be basically an information center. But, you know, they look differently in every, every CPC or every state. You know, I want to just first say that they outnumber, you know, abortion clinics nationally five to one. And in this state, in Maryland, we have at least 55 crisis pregnancy centers, and we have 19 abortion providers. But with crisis pregnancy centers, it's often like whack-a-mole. Um, you know, one closes and another opens or two more open. And so that's mm. an ongoing effort as well. It's just knowing where they are. Why are crisis pregnancy? I mean, we could guess, of course, but right. why are crisis pregnancy centers sort of a legislative issue. Why are we seeing this pop up in our legislatures and in our states? Absolutely. So crisis pregnancy centers are in large part a legislative issue because legislation and ordinances and policies and regulations are the ways in which activists, pro-choice activists and elected officials, you know, have sought to create public awareness and address some of the concerns of unlicensed centers providing healthcare, you know, quote unquote, healthcare advice and information. Um, and it is important to know that the vast majority of crisis pregnancy centers are not licensed as medical clinics and um, oftentimes won't have a licensed healthcare provider, you know, a nurse, a doctor at the, at the center itself. And yet that is how they portray themselves with the crisis pregnancy centers I've been to and, and many <laughs> um, around yeah. in the state and the country. You know, you'll have the volunteers at the crisis pregnancy centers wearing scrubs or wearing um, a white jacket like a doctor. There's medical equipment there like sonogram machines. It's really important to know and, and you know, thinking about 
why they are difficult to combat. There is no consumer protections for uh, individuals that receive services or information from a crisis pregnancy center because there is never an exchange of money. And there is no protections about healthcare information or privacy because they are not a licensed healthcare provider. So it's all about just making sure through legislation and the, the work that NARAL has been trying to do and the work that's happening in other states as well, you know, is legislation about disclosing that there are no medical providers at this place and that there is, you know, this is not a legitimate, this is not a licensed medical center. Just trying to make sure people are aware of what this place actually provides. And if you want to come there and get information about, I don't even you know, having gone to them, I don't think any of their information is, is valuable. But it, it's one thing to say, right, we support people who want to be pregnant. It's another mm -hmm. thing. And all of us can get behind that, right? All of us can get behind resources, individuals, organizations, places that are dedicated to supporting parents, young parents, people who are struggling with the pregnancy. What is not okay, and what will never be okay, and what the movement against, you know, and exposing these fake clinics is about is, is the deception and the things that they say and the misinformation and disinformation they spread about abortion care, about pregnancy. I just have unlimited stories um, and certainly resources to, to share yeah. about that. And let's, I mean, let's get into some of that. You've, you said that you visited some of these crisis pregnancy centers. If you could Perhaps talk about an experience that you've had there, as well as some of your experiences as a volunteer at legitimate family planning clinics. Um, Absolutely. If you could just share some of your experiences from those places. Absolutely. So, and this will tie into the work that NARAL has done. But before I became employed by NARAL Pro Choice Maryland, I was an intern here four years ago. And NARAL, for, for decades, has done research investigative research to look inside crisis pregnancy centers. So I have now been to both as an intern and on staff, I've probably been to about six or seven. My first experience going to a crisis pregnancy center, I went to Alpha Pregnancy Center in Ricerstown, Maryland. I'll, I'll say that I was doing some, some acting like any good, you know, investigative reporter should. So I was pretending that I thought I was pregnant. I showed up alone. I, you know, I was able to act distressed. And I said, which is how they have many people enter their centers or come in for their services. I said I was looking for a free pregnancy test because that's often mm -hmm. what crisis pregnancy centers will advertise for. And that's in part, you know, they're trying to reach an individual before, um, you know, she can access abortion care if that is what that individual chooses. So I came and said I was looking for a pregnancy test. You know, my experiences once I was there were nothing like what an, a legitimate healthcare provider would ever put a patient through. So they put me in, you know, a small room. I administered my own pregnancy test because, again, these places do not have laboratory licenses for the most part. So they're not even allowed to be doing pregnancy tests. And that's how they get around it is often having the patient administer her own test. And then, you know, interpreting the results together. Um, the volunteers at this specific crisis pregnancy center, um, you know, when she asked me about what I was thinking about um, once I tested pregnant, and I'll, you know, I'll say I went into this pregnancy center with 
someone else's pregnant urine in a vial um, to get that pregnant result um, so that I could hear what they would actually say. Um, you know, when she asked what I was thinking, I said I was thinking about getting an abortion because I was a senior in college and I was going to be finishing my undergraduate degree and I was coming from you know, a middle-class family and I didn't have support. And she just immediately started spewing really terrifying lies that, you know, were meant to scare me from getting an abortion. She looked me in the eyes and said, you know what, if you get an abortion, um, you know, you're going to commit suicide. And, you know, I quote, you're going to want to die just like your baby. And she said, that's if the breast cancer doesn't kill you first. She said, this would be my only opportunity to be pregnant. And she said, kind of drawing on that insecurity of being a young person. And I said, a long, young person who relies on my family. She said, well, you don't need your family. If they're not going to support you, you can do this by yourself and, and we'll support you. And, you know, she asked about the boy who impregnated me. And I said, you know, I didn't want him to be in my life. And she said, well, you owe it to him to tell him and maybe he'll be a good father. And so that's just one experience. And that, you know, brings up so many of the common themes that CPCs and the disinformation that they rely on, and really what I, as someone who works in abortion care, have centered my, you know, my education, my undergraduate and graduate education, and my career on trying to disprove that. This is how common disinformation about abortion care spreads, right? That it might cause depression and anxiety, that you will regret your abortion, that it causes infertility, that it causes breast cancer. All of these are really common myths in the anti-choice movement. And, you know, to, to draw on your second question, I, I do work as a counselor at an independent abortion clinic. So I've been there for a year and a half now. And so as a counselor, I'm there to just make sure that people who are receiving, again, legitimate family planning, abortion care, are having their questions answered, are feeling taken care of, that they feel safe, that they understand what's happening. And I find myself in that position, again, walking people through and countering a lot of the disinformation that they've been told. And oftentimes people who show up at an abortion clinic, many of them have been to a crisis pregnancy center because they saw a sign for quote unquote women's care center, or they saw a sign pregnant and need help and they needed help. And they come in and, and I can always tell for folks that have either been around anti-choice individuals or visited a crisis pregnancy center because they do ask questions like, you know, is there a chance that I will never be able to get pregnant after this or am I going to die? And it just, it breaks my heart because of the, of the way that abortion stigma operates and the way that crisis pregnancy centers perpetuate. And truly that is their mission to perpetuate that disinformation. You highlighted some of those impacts of that disinformation. I, I don't want to infer too much, but I would imagine that these crisis pregnancy centers may be the reason for additional trauma. Absolutely, for people who are already facing some some hardship and facing a very tough decision. Absolutely, and I what I say about you know abortion care and why I'm so proud to work in this movement is because. It is about bodily autonomy. It is about ensuring and respecting and loving every individual in their own journey in life. The things that will always make me tear up at the clinic is people who then express like, wow, thank you for treating me with so much kindness. Thank you for respecting my decision. I didn't realize everyone here would be so nice to me. 
And in many times, right, these are the, this is the first time that someone's been able to open up about their experience with an unwanted pregnancy. No one plans on having an unwanted pregnancy, you know, by definition. Mm -hmm. And so individuals are already going through any number of things when they show up at a crisis pregnancy center and when they show up at an abortion clinic. And our job as activists and as healthcare providers is to give them that evidence-based information and support them in whatever they may choose. And again, that's by definition of what they do, which is deceptive work. That's not what crisis pregnancy centers are doing. That's like sort of a myth, right? Is that they're there to support you. And if they wanted to support you, they would respect your decision. They're there so that you don't get an abortion. So if that's what's going to be best for you, your education, your career, you know, your existing family, or the life you want, then by definition, they will not be supporting your choice and can absolutely be a really traumatic experience for many people. And I think we see that in like the, you know, the Handmaid's Tale episode, crisis pregnancy centers show up in, you know, in, in, in more comical ways. There was uh, a clip in a, in a recent Borat movie, um, but there has mm-hmm. been a lot of yeah. media just around um, the trauma that they cause. And it, it's, it's good public awareness um, for those that haven't visited a crisis pregnancy center or don't know what they do. Talking about crisis pregnancy centers is really important and, and certainly a good portion of the work that you do at NARAL Pro Choice Maryland. We should talk a little bit more about the legislative side of this, um, the courts side. We all know about Roe v. Wade. We know about, especially again, through media and television over the past couple of years, we've learned more about the movements for reproductive justice throughout previous decades and up to now. We, we've seen how crisis pregnancy centers and people running those and working there have engaged in some intimidation, misinformation, disinformation. On a legislative side, what are opponents of reproductive justice saying? Why are they not handling this issue? Right, absolutely. I mean, because they think that these people who are anti-choice and anti-choice legislators do not want abortion clinics to exist. And we see this with the, the past administration. We see this with anti-choice legislators in the Maryland General Assembly. But this belief that legitimate family planning providers like Planned Parenthood, that abortion clinics, you know, they don't want abortion clinics to exist, but they think that crisis pregnancy centers can take on basically all the work of family planning providers, which is ridiculous. And, you know, and that's why they want to pass legislation redirecting funding to crisis pregnancy centers and protecting crisis pregnancy centers' existence, which is ridiculous because they don't provide family planning services. I mean, the family planning service that they provide is pushing abstinence and telling you to, quote unquote, keep your baby if you're already pregnant. And just thinking about purely from a public health perspective, how devastating that would be for anyone <laughs> that has had sex, for anyone that can get pregnant, for individuals who might be low income or, you know, like I have always gotten my, since I was a student, had gotten my health care from Planned Parenthood because mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood and, and other organizations that receive Title X funding, a caveat that the Trump administration banned that for a period of time, but the Maryland continued to fund Title X providers. You know, it would just have a devastating impact on on healthcare, on family planning, because crisis pregnancy centers do not do that kind of work. And so, again, the intent around keeping them 
is inherently tied to the attempt to ban abortion and to spread disinformation about abortion. And I think just to throw in a definition too of, I'm saying disinformation here as opposed to misinformation because um, I think of misinformation as sort of the harmless, you didn't know any better. And disinformation is basically like a purposeful attempt to spread false information. And we know evidence shows us that abortion is safe, it's effective, it doesn't cause long-lasting, devastating impacts. And so for crisis pregnancy centers to ignore that is an active source of disinformation. That's a, that's an important way to distinguish between those two things, especially when we're talking about an issue with such impact. So Isabella, are there any major wins or losses that took place in Maryland's legislature this year? The reproductive justice movement is not just about abortion. Um, we had a couple of big wins legislatively at NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland. Um, yesterday, the governor signed the first bill of ours that passed into law. Um, this is a bill about supporting pregnant and parenting students, and we'll set up a sort of model policy um, for schools around the state to use. Um, and that will provide safe and private lactation space, spaces for students to pump in school. Um, it will also designate uh, an existing employee of the school to help pregnant and parenting students coordinate transportation to and from school and, and childcare, because we know that these are major barriers that keep pregnant and parenting students out of school and prevent them from returning to school. And we honor young people's decisions to be pregnant, to be parents, and to continue their education because we know that they value their financial security in, in which is, you know, education is often inherent to in supporting this, this new family and this existing family. The other bill we're excited about that passed was um, House Bill 205, SB 427. We're hoping the governor will sign this or, or just let it pass into law. This is going to require public schools to provide menstrual hygiene supplies in bathrooms in all elementary, middle, and high schools. So it's a big win for, for menstruating people everywhere. We've talked a little bit about the legislature. Most of us are aware of the big Supreme Court case, Roe versus Wade, that made it possible for women to make their own choices in this country when it comes to abortion care. Of course, over the years, there's been a push from from the anti-choice side to run another case up the court system to try to get rid of Roe versus Wade. I'm aware that there might be another case coming up. Could you tell us a little bit more about the Supreme Court, where they are now, if they're taking up any cases that are related to this? Absolutely. So in terms of abortion and direct challenge to Roe v. Wade that you referenced, um, the Supreme Court just announced the other day in really a devastating decision to even hear this case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Jackson Women's Health Organization is the sole abortion clinic left in Mississippi. And this case is a challenge to the constitutionality of a Mississippi law that bans abortion after the 15th week of pregnancy. So this is a direct violation of Roe v. Wade, which ensures our right to have an abortion up until viability, which is often thought of as late second trimester. And this anti-choice elected officials and, and activists have clearly said that this is what they are hoping. This is the case that will gut Roe, overturn Roe, because of the new makeup of the Supreme Court. And depending on how the court decides this case or what they say, already we know like 20 other states, which are vehemently anti-choice, which have trigger laws that will automatically ban abortion if Roe v. Wade is gutted. They're going to start 
passing their own legislation. So activists are upset by this case because the Supreme Court is even hearing it because the question is, what case do you have? We, this has already been set in precedent for 50 years, and we are disturbed about that. And, and to briefly touch on legislation and litigations directly related to crisis pregnancy centers, Baltimore and NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland, in 2009, our organization was working with the Baltimore City Council to pass basically the first law to pass an ordinance requiring crisis pregnancy centers to disclose the limited nature of their services. And then that ordinance was challenged and went through years of litigation, um, moved up to the Fourth Circuit Court, and then after that was appealed or was brought to the Supreme Court to see if they would take the case, was not heard based on other decisions um, in Supreme Court cases including one versus Nifla and Becerra. And the arguments brought in court around crisis pregnancy centers are almost always due to your First Amendment rights to free speech. So the crisis pregnancy centers assert that they're allowed to say whatever they want. And then everyone else is saying, actually, this is a public health crisis. So that just touches on both you know, what's happening nationally with the, with the change in the climate and, and abortion care and access, um, but also how hard it has been, like we talked about earlier, to to pin down crisis pregnancy centers when they go by information centers or they're just volunteer-run resources. It's hard to put restrictions and requirements on those entities. Our listeners are probably curious. They, they know that you're working on a lot of things in the state. Could you tell us about any special projects that NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland has going on now? Yeah, they might be able to get absolutely. Um, so we are super excited. You know, we have a handful of new initiatives um, that we invite anyone across the state to participate in. The first, which we just launched, is the Maryland Abortion Access Alliance. This is a volunteer-driven practical support project that is focused on getting people to their abortion appointments. It's important to note that across the country, 75% of people who seek abortion care are low income. And this might relate both to the reason why you're dealing with an unwanted pregnancy and also why um, you might seek abortion care, because it is so expensive to raise a child in this country, and it, it seems to get harder all the time. Most people who seek abortion care are already parents. So what the Maryland Abortion Access Alliance does is we're organizing volunteers to drive people to and from their abortion with the recognition, and we're also looking to provide childcare, to provide translation services, and to provide lodging. Um, and we do this in the recognition that this is an unexpected cost for so many people. And not only is an individual maybe having to come up with the money for an abortion care, for abortion, um, which a first trimester abortion ranges anywhere from about $350 to $500 in the state of Maryland, depending on the clinic and the type of care. But then you have to pay, let's say, for an Uber, or it, you know, depending on the type of sedation you want, the clinic will require that someone drive you home. And maybe that you're your friend or your mom or your boyfriend is working. Where do you bring your, your kid during that time if you don't have someone who can watch them? Who is supporting you if you don't speak the language? And, and many of the clinics in our state have employees that are fluent Spanish speakers and others will have sort of translation services. But just thinking of any way that we as pro-choice individuals can actively support and love and like make better the experience of someone seeking abortion care. So we are super excited about that project. Information about that and to sign up can be accessed at mdabortionaccessalliance.org. And you can also access it through our website at prochoicemd.org. The other way that folks can get 
involved in our work is by joining what we're calling action teams. These are local pro-choice groups where we've divided them by counties and we have groups in most of the large counties. And these are, these are you know, collections of individuals that can decide the actions that they want to take in their own communities to support reproductive justice. And some groups, including groups in Baltimore City and Anne Arundel County, are, are doing awareness about crisis pregnancy centers. So they're actually, actually putting up flyers near and around crisis pregnancy centers to let people know the types of services that they actually provide and what they don't provide. This is especially important because we know that crisis pregnancy centers can be very predatory in, in their outreach, and they will target college campuses, they'll target communities of color, they'll target low-income communities. And so that's, that's something that folks can get involved in. And I think just constantly, you know, what we all can be doing is constantly educating ourselves about crisis pregnancy centers, where they are, what they are, sharing people's experiences, you know, supporting you know our young people who are seeking health care i will say and my mother always told me this like she would go to crisis pregnancy centers because she didn't know where else to get a pregnancy test hmm. so let's you know let's do more <laughs> let's do more sex education work let's show our young people where they can get legitimate family planning care and abortion care if that's what they need um so they're not put in a position where they need to go to a crisis pregnancy center. And let's continue to do that awareness work so that people know, okay, this is where I can go if I do want to have a kid. And, you know, maybe they'll give me some diapers, but it is not a normal, you know, healthcare experience for someone to be praying for you, right? Or it's not a normal healthcare experience to be locked in a room, which is another thing that happened to me at a different crisis pregnancy center, or to be told that, you know, I'm going to hell. These are, these are <laughs> experiences that people have every day that they then just think are normal healthcare experiences. And we wonder why people have distrust of medical providers besides you know, any number of other reasons. How does that change what you think about healthcare and how it, how it is provided? Is there any place where people can identify where crisis pregnancy centers might be um, in, in their own research. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I want to take this opportunity and we, like, we can do it again at the end um, to highlight a joint project between our Maryland and NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland. Um, this is a website called Maryland Mythbusters, um, and it's really focused on sharing resources, countering disinformation and deception from crisis pregnancy centers and, and countering the misinformation around abortion care. On that website and also on prochoicemd.org, you can find a full list of, and, and it's you know constantly growing and changing, of the crisis pregnancy centers in the state. Um, and there's also a place for you, you know, to share your experiences with crisis pregnancy centers. So I think on both websites right now, or shortly there will be, um, you know, we have experiences from interns at NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland that have been to crisis pregnancy centers and have written about, you know, how terrifying it was. And we also invite folks, if they see a new pregnancy center, a crisis pregnancy center that pops up, to make us aware of it. Because again, it, it really does feel like whack-a-mole. It feels like, you know, everywhere you look, a new one is popping up. And in some ways, you know, that's just because it can happen in someone's basement, right? It can happen in a, a church attic in one I went to. So because of the lack of regulations there, they constantly seem to be appearing. Thank you so much, Isabel, for joining us on, on our podcast. You've shared a lot of great information regarding reproductive justice. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 
That was Isabel Blaylock, Field Director for Abortion Access for NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland. To take action and volunteer with the Maryland Abortion Access Alliance, visit mdabortionaccessalliance.org. To learn more about crisis pregnancy centers or to share your story, visit marylandmythbusters.com. For information about access teams and all of the other great work that NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland does, visit prochoicemd.org. All links will be listed in the description of this episode. As always, thanks for listening to the Our Maryland Politics and Policy Podcast. See you next time.